But as he passed in, he noted, with the jumping of his pulses, the sweet, ingenuous face of Elsie and her pose of doubt and loneliness. With true and honest Western impulse, he said to himself that here was his mate. He could love her, he knew, and he would surround her with so much comfort and cherish her so carefully that she would be happy, and make two sunflowers grow on the ranch where there grew but one before. Hank turned and went back to her. Backed by his never-before-questioned honesty of purpose, he approached the girl and removed his soft-brimmed hat. Elsie had but time to sum up his handsome, frank face with one shy look of modest admiration when a burly cop hurled himself upon the ranchman, seized him by the collar, and backed him against the wall. Two blocks away, a burglar was coming out of an apartment house with a bag of silverware on his shoulder. But that is neither here nor there. The cop shouted, Carry on, yous mashin' tricks right before my eyes, will yous? I'll teach yous to speak to ladies on me beat that you're not acquainted with. Come along. Elsie turned away with a sigh as the ranchman was dragged away. She had liked the effect of his light blue eyes against his tan complexion. She walked southward, thinking herself already in the district where her father used to work and hoping to find someone who could direct her to the firm of Fox Otter. But did she want to find Mr. Otter? She had inherited much of the old Cutter's independence. How much better it would be if she could find work and support herself without calling on him for aid. Elsie saw a sign, Employment Agency, and went in. Many girls were sitting against the wall in chairs. Several well-dressed ladies were looking them over. One white-haired, kind-faced old lady in rustling black silk hurried up to Elsie. She said in a sweet and gentle voice, I like your face and, and appearance so much. Uh, I want a young woman who will be uh, uh, half-maid and, and half-companion to me. Uh, you will have a good home, and I will pay you thirty dollars a month. Before Elsie could stammer forth her gratified acceptance, a young woman with gold glasses on her bony nose and her hands in her jacket pockets seized her arm and drew her aside. I am Miss Ticklebaum of the Association for the Prevention of Jobs Being Put Up on Working Girls Looking for Jobs. We prevented 47 girls from securing positions last week. I am here to protect you. Beware of anyone who offers you a job. How do you know that this woman does not want to make you work as a breaker boy in a coal mine or murder you to get your teeth? If you accept work of any kind without permission of our association, you will be arrested by one of our agents. But what am I to do? I have no home or money. I must do something. Why am I not allowed to accept this kind lady's offer? I do not know. That is the affair of our committee on the abolishment of employers. It is my duty simply to see that you do not get work. You will give me your name and address and report to our secretary every Thursday. We have 600 girls on the waiting list who will in time be allowed to accept positions as vacancies occur on our role of qualified employers, which now comprises, let's see, 27 names. There is a prayer, music, and lemonade in our chapel the third Sunday of every month.
Elsie hurried away after thanking Miss Ticklebaum for her timely warning and advice. After all, it seemed that she must try to find Mr. Otter. But after walking a few blocks, she saw a sign. Cashier wanted, in the window of a confectionery store. In she went and applied for the place, after casting a quick glance over her shoulder to assure herself that the job preventer was not on her tail. The proprietor of the confectionery was a benevolent old man with a peppermint flavor, who decided, after questioning Elsie pretty closely, that she was the very girl he wanted. Her services were needed at once, so Elsie, with a thankful heart, drew off her tan coat and prepared to mount the cashier's stool. But before she could do so, a gaunt lady wearing steel spectacles and black mittens stood before her, with a long finger pointing, and exclaimed, Young woman, hesitate! Elsie hesitated. The black and steel lady continued, Do you know that in accepting this position you may this day cause the loss of a hundred lives in agonizing physical torture and the sending as many souls to perdition? Why, no. How could I do that? Ruin! The demon rum. Do you know why so many lives are lost when a theater catches fire? Brandy balls. The demon rum lurking in brandy balls. Our society women while in theaters sit grossly intoxicated from eating these candies filled with brandy. When the fire fiend sweeps down upon them, they are unable to escape. The candy stores are the devil's distilleries. If you assist in the distribution of these insidious confections, you assist in the destruction of the bodies and souls of your fellow beings, and in the filling of our jails, asylums, and almhouses. Think, girl, ere you touch the money for which brandy balls are sold. Dear me. I didn't know there was rum and brandy balls, but I must live by some means. What shall I do? Decline the position and come with me. I will tell you what to do. After Elsie had told the confectioner that she had changed her mind about the cashiership, she put on her coat and followed the lady to the sidewalk, where awaited an elegant Victoria. Seek some other work and assist in crushing the hydro-headed demon rum. And she got into the Victoria and drove away. Elsie turned down the street. I guess that puts it up to Mr. Otter again. And I'm sorry, too, for I'd much rather make my way without help. Near 14th Street, Elsie saw a placard packed on the side of the doorway that read, Fifty Girls. Neat sewers, wanted immediately on theatrical costumes. Good pay. She was about to enter when a solemn man dressed all in black laid his hand on her arm. My dear girl, I entreat you not to enter the dressing room of the devil. Goodness me. The devil seems to have a scent on all the business in New York. What's wrong about the place? It is here that the regalia of Satan... In other words, the costumes worn on the stage are manufactured. The stage is the road to ruin and destruction. Would you imperil your soul by lending the work of your hands to its support? 
Do you know, my dear girl, what the theater leads to? Do you know where actors and actresses go after the curtain of the playhouse has fallen upon them for the last time? Sure, into vaudeville. But do you think it would be wicked for me to make a little money to live on by sewing? I must get something to do pretty soon. The flesh pots of Egypt. I beseech you, my child, to turn away from this place of sin and inequity. But what will I do for a living? I don't care to sew for this musical comedy, if it's as rank as you say it is. But I've got to have a job. The Lord will provide. There is a free Bible class every Sunday afternoon in the basement of the cigar store next to the church. Peace be with you. Amen. Farewell. Elsie went on her way. She was soon in the downtown district where factories abound. On a large brick building was a gilt sign. Posy trimmer, artificial flowers. Below it was hung a newly stretched canvas bearing the words, Five hundred girls wanted to learn trade. Good wages from the start. Ply, one flight up. Elsie started toward the door, near which were gathered in groups some twenty or thirty girls. One big girl with a black straw hat tipped down over her eyes stepped in front of her. Say, yous, are you going in there after a job? Yes, I must have work. Nah, don't do it. I'm chairman of our scab committee. There's four hundred of us girls locked out just because we demanded fifty cents a week raise and wages and ice water and, and for the foreman to shave off his mustache. You're too nice a looking girl to be a scab.